The scripture lesson comes from the book of Acts. I'll be reading chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, down through verse 47. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many signs and wonders through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes, and they shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. My mother saved, I'm pretty sure, almost everything from my childhood. Little craft projects that I made in Sunday school, really bad drawings because I'm terrible at it, odd pieces of clothing. Cherie still looks at it in wonder because they've been passed on to me. And she goes, what? And of course, report cards. Now, I have report cards going from high school all the way back to the elementary days, and they make interesting reading, actually. Um, and at times, um, they're a bit comical, if I'm honest. I, I remember reading where one teacher noted that as I got older, I might settle down a little bit. Um, boy, she was wrong. Uh, another teacher praised my good spirit and intellectual abilities, but chided my taking and passing notes in class. Um, then there was one that got my attention, I mean, a lot. I don't think I'd ever noticed it before. Certainly my mom never mentioned it. She probably didn't think it worth noting, but there, in front of God and everybody in red ink, at the bottom of my third grade report card, my teacher had scrawled, shares well with others, well, at least most of the time. <laughs> shares well with others, at least most of the time. Now, sharing is an interesting thing for us to be teaching our own children, our grandchildren, other children in our church family that we're around and in the community. You know, it's a good thing to teach the next generations um, to share. On the playground or in the sandbox, we certainly want them to learn how to share toys and building blocks and so forth. We hope that they'll learn how to take turns and swing sets and seesaws. And we certainly hope as these little humans grow and develop over time, that they will learn to share of themselves. Shares well with others, well, at least most of the time. We work hard to teach the most of the time we share part, don't we? I mean, we guide the playtime, we share the lessons that we try to learn, and we try to help the youngsters learn that sharing is an essential component to getting along in this world. Wouldn't we like to be able to say that of the kids we know in our own lives and all around us, even if just shares well with others most of the time? Now, that would be okay. But the truth of the matter is, after all that emphasis we tend to place, especially when we're young, on sharing, all that cajoling and guiding we try to offer, even kids that don't belong to us, we send these kids who have learned how to share out into a world that in fact does not share well with others most of the time. 
The child who has learned how to share at home or in church or with, from others is often the object of bullies and thieves at school or elsewhere. The child who has learned gentleness and openness at home or at church uh, you know, gets hit in the schoolyard physically only to find suddenly that the world isn't always the way we've all tried to teach them it can be, at least not all the time. And it hurts, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally. It just hurts to come to that realization that the world is not as kind and generous of a place as we would love it to be. This is the feeling that I kind of get when I read this passage from Acts. We just read a moment ago. The, my initial response is, is this really in the Bible? I mean, do you know what will happen if we try this in the real world? Uh, they can't mean, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's naive. It sounds like socialism to me, someone's already saying in Oklahoma. And in any discussion I've ever undertaken regarding the scripture, people get defensive and angry and dismissive. I'm told such things wouldn't exist in today's world and that there's nothing wrong with leaving room to make a good profit and that unbridled, unfettered capitalism, quite frankly, is next to godliness. It's hard to confront the truth in these scriptures today. It seems because it wants us to share so well with others what we divest ourselves of, even in the notion of private property altogether. The idea is that in Christian community, the welfare of the individual, at least here, in theory, don't throw anything, is bound up in the notion of kind of private property altogether. The idea is that in Christian community, the welfare of the individual is found in the welfare of the community. And therefore, everyone gives everything they have to the community and they be distributed according to the needs that arise. Wait a minute. What? According to the need? According to what need? Who decides who needs what? What if I work harder than that person on the other side of the sanctuary? Look over there at them right now. Say, I work harder than you. Try that. I, I, say, I deserve more than you. Look at them. Go ahead and look across there. It's always the people on the other side. I mean, what if they're lazy? Look at them. Do they look lazy, that person across the aisle? I mean, uh, I, they don't mean this literally. How'd this get in the Bible? Oh, this is one of those difficult teachings. That is tough, not so much because they're problematic in any theological or doctrinal sense, but because of the socio-political location of the folks, you and I, reading the text. In the United States, we consume an absurdly large, huge proportion of the world's resources. We are wealthy beyond our imagination just by the fact that you're in this room today. As you know, no matter what your income, you're in the wealthiest 2% of persons in the whole world. Wow. We suffer the effects, health effects of obesity while much of the world suffers from malnutrition. Our nation is responsible for the vast majority of greenhouse gases that are accelerating global warming and our corporations chase endlessly around the globe to looking for the next nation that they can let its workers go be paid pennies an hour in in order to make our shirts, our sneakers, our jeans, our radios, even these our computers. The hard truth is, friends, that the economy of the early church is hard for us because, well, quite frankly, 
we have so much stuff. And within that reality is the other hard truth. We don't share all that well with others if we're being completely honest. Now hear me on this, siblings. I live in the same world as the rest of you. And though I think sharing is great, I work hard too. I want you to know, I I work hard as your pastor. I struggle to save for my retirement. I struggle to put money aside to pay for my children's college, both of them at the same time, whoever made that legal. I take my paycheck each week to pay for food for my family and to buy clothing and school supplies and whatnot for me and mine. And I'll be honest, it would not be easy for me to be the first in line to give everything I own over to our church family to be distributed out to all the members based on need. And as I say these words, I need to confess this. I won't give it all over because, well, I don't trust you. I mean, I don't trust you to take care of me and mine. It's not you, though. It's really more about me. I don't trust you to take care of my wife and my children and my family's needs entirely. Do I trust the community to care for us all like I should? Sadly, no. Am I willing to give my life according to that trust? I feel shame as the word no starts to form on my lips. But no matter how I might feel about it, I have to deal with the fact that this call to share well with others is not only here in the scripture before us, but it also seems pretty clear that the early church did indeed try to live this way. In fact, there are still Christian communities around the globe doing a better job in other countries, imagine that, trying to reach this sort of way of living, this ideal, and it's not just me that knows this. We as a community, you know, we are committed to authenticity. We must really confront the depth of this passage and all that supports it as we seek to be faithful in sharing our stuff. Do we really trust one another? Do we trust that if we give what we have to be shared, there will still be enough for us if we need it? And yes, on one hand, I'm talking about financial support, but I'm talking about more than just our financial support that we give or don't give at church. I'm talking about the underlying thing. It's this thing we call trust. Can we learn within the context of this Christian community to truly trust one another? If we're honest, even though many of us know one another, and and some of you know one another extremely well, knowing one another does not equate to trusting one another, does it? Can I learn over time and with practice to trust you? And can you learn to trust one another? And can you learn to trust me? And if we can learn to trust one another, I wonder, will this have any bearing on the way that we live our lives? Will it have any bearing, to use church theological language, on our ability to trust God or to trust that there is enough bounty in God's creation 
that if we will do our small part, everyone can always have enough. What if the level of trust we have for one another is a direct reflection on our ability to trust in the goodness and bounty of God's creation, or to trust God, to put it another way? What if that nagging little hesitation we feel when we wonder if we should open up and, for example, share something deeply personal with one another is the only thing holding us back from a truly healing experience from some of the terrible times we've endured over the past centuries of our lives? What if the offering plates, when they make their way past us each Sunday, are, instead of an opportunity for guilt, are actually an opportunity for us to grow in trusting one another and trusting God and trusting that there really is enough to go around if we will all do our part? What if participating in acts of service, rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty for someone else with no strings attached, what if an act of service and our participation in service, or what if our participation in an adult class or Sunday school group at church is less about what we might learn from the curriculum or experience in that service project or accomplish, and more about surrendering to the life-giving, life-transforming power of community and trusting one another? What if the bigger, more pressing matter never really was about how many dollars any one of us gave, how many verses of Scripture any one of us ever memorized or mastered, it was, you know, what if, what if uh, the more pressing matter never really was about who the pastor was or whether or not the church sang your favorite style of music on any particular Sunday during worship? Or what if it never really was about any host of other concerns that Christians we all seem to have about church these days? What if the struggle we've experienced has been more about learning to trust one another than anything else? May I say to you, by the way, that there is no perfect church doesn't exist. You know why? It's full of people. There are no perfect pastors. Why? Because they're people. There are no perfect church music. There's no perfect service project. There's no perfect Sunday school. There's no perfect kids program. Now, now do I believe that this makes all churches or all Christians or all communities equal? Not at all. Nor does their size. I've been the pastor of a church with 13 members. I've been the pastor of a church of 7,500 members. I've been pastor to churches with a $20,000 annual budget. And I've been the pastor of one church with a $4.5 annual million dollar budget. It's not about the size of the budget. It's not the number of rear ends in the seats that make a great church. There's lots of things that make a great church, but the one on my heart this morning is trust. A church that trusts one another, that trusts in its message, that trusts that there will always be enough if we will all do what we can. That's the church I want to be a part of. And you, dear ones, are a church that shares well with others. Well, at least most of the time. That's pretty good. That's above average. I'd put you in the Hall of Fame of churches, by the way, from my experience. Do we have areas we could trust more? Of course we do. How about personally? Of course we do. But only you can answer that for yourself, where it is that your trust needs to increase. And only I can answer where my trust needs to increase. But it's no secret we're a church that trusts. And I think we're a church that wants to trust even more in one another, in the goodness of the bounty of all of creation. 
So may it continue. May we challenge ourselves to stretch our comfort zones and to trust one another just a little bit more tomorrow than we did today. And may our eyes be open to see the miracles that follow because that's what trusting in one another and trusting in the goodness of this bounty we call creation does. Sharing our earthly and spiritual resources fertilizes the ground in which miracles grow. Thanks be to God. Amen.